Well, good morning, Leslie Avenue. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see such a good crowd here this morning. Uh, we're glad each and every one of you are here. Uh, we're hopeful that if you are watching uh, remotely and haven't yet come back, that you will. Uh, the auditorium still has plenty of room if you want to have the need for social distancing. But uh, we really miss those of you that haven't been able to be back before or yet. And if you're watching remotely and haven't been to Lindsley Avenue before, we hope you will come down and join us. We'd love to have you. I want to thank Evan for the great job he does leading singing. There, there aren't many places that have someone that can lead as ably as he can. So we are very, very uh, grateful and very, very fortunate to have someone who can do that. So thank you, Evan. This morning, I want to go back again to John chapter 1. We've done this several times over the last several months because the Gospel of John is one of my favorite places to go read in the Bible. In John chapter 1, you can easily spend weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks uh, as you read through the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And this morning, as you can tell, we are going to talk about the Gospel of John, full of grace and truth, as Thurl read from verses 14 through 18. So let's come along and see what John says about Jesus Christ. Picking up in verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the Word, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In some ways, this might be the greatest single verse in the entire New Testament. You know, I certainly don't want to diminish John 3.16, the verse that's been called the gospel in miniature, the gospel in one verse. But there's so much in this one verse here in John chapter 1. The eternal word, the Son, became flesh. The incarnation, the incarnation through the birth of Jesus. You cannot have the forgiveness of sin without the incarnation. Without that choice that God made before the world began to send the Son into the world to be born of woman and to live and to die, none of us would have any hope at all. Because as I say quite frequently, we have all made choices to live for ourselves when we knew better. And in that Circumstance. As a result, we separated ourselves from God. God sent his son to reconcile us, to bring us back, to give us the opportunity to come back to God. The son dwelt among us. You look at that, it says he dwelt among us. It's literally pitched his tent. I used to remind the Boy Scouts of that. He pitched his tent. He came and actually dwelt among us as part of the community. You know, when you think of uh, a camp out, unless you're camping out by yourselves, there was always the, these rows of tents. Uh, the first few camp outs, the boys had them scattered who knows where, they were all over the place. Eventually we managed to get a little discipline in there so there were rows of tents all facing the same direction. If you think about how we live our lives, there's some order to how we live. We, we live in single units or family units or we live in communities. Jesus came and pitched his tent among us just like all of us in some ways have pitched our tent. 
Now I take out of that the fact that Jesus knows what it's like to be sleeping. Some of you, if you aren't experiencing that yet, will soon enough if I continue talking. You're going to know what it's like to be sleeping. Jesus got sleepy. I want you to think about that for a minute. He did not live his life as some sort of nuclear-powered Superman as he was walking here on the earth. Otherwise, it's not going to do the job of being that sacrifice that we all needed. The Word became flesh and experienced the flesh in a way that all of us experience the flesh. He knew what it was like to be hungry. Some of you will be feeling that way in a few minutes if you aren't already. Jesus went 40 days once without eating. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be happy. One of the uh, lessons that we're going to have in a couple of weeks is going to focus on joy and how Jesus partook of one of the most joyous events in the lives of people when he went to a wedding over in John chapter 2. It's okay to be happy. I've met some people who are members of God's family that seem to think they need to wear black all the time and they need to kind of go around crying and moaning about how terrible everything is or they're not being a good member of God's family. It's okay to be happy. Jesus knew what it was like to be happy. He knew what it was like to be sad as well. One of his dear friends died and Jesus cries out in the spirit. He weeps. Jesus knows what it's like to live on the earth. And so when we feel sad, when we feel happy, when we feel tired, when we feel hungry, when we feel sleepy, when we feel disappointed, when we feel betrayed, Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows what I'm going through because he pitched his tent among us lived as a man on the earth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. As a result of becoming flesh and dwelling among us, we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus was full of glory, and He showed forth the glory of God to man and woman. By becoming flesh, God enters the world, as it were, and God in Jesus is living among us, and we can behold the people live at the time, his disciples, beheld that glory as of the only begotten of the Father. In the Old Testament, I think this is the important part of this, in the Old Testament, the glory of God indicated that God was close. God was nearby. Before the giving of the manna to the children of Israel uh, in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel looked for, uh, toward the wilderness and beheld the glory of the Lord as it appeared in the cloud. When the glory of God was visible, it said God was near, God was close. At the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 24, the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. When the tabernacle, that tent-like structure, came before the temple, when the tabernacle had been erected, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40. 
When Solomon's temple was dedicated, the priests could not enter inside the temple for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. When Isaiah had his vision in the temple, he heard angels singing, the whole earth is full of his glory in Isaiah chapter 6. Ezekiel saw the likeness of the glory of the Lord. These all present God's glory as showing that God was close to the people. God's glory has never been closer than when Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. The creator of the universe cared enough, loved each of us enough to enter into the physical universe, to be born of a woman, to live as a baby, to live as a teenager, to live as an adult, and experience life as we've talked about in terms of hungry, sleepy, happy, sad. He loved us enough to do that. And in the process of living here, those around him saw the glory of God. It's never been closer than when Jesus was here. Jesus was also full of grace and truth. He was full of grace. The fact that Jesus came to the earth to live and die for us is something certainly that none of us deserve. You know, sometimes we get this idea that if, as long as we fulfill some sort of a checklist, then I get the prize. And sometimes we do that in the form of, let's just speak the truth here, bribing our kids. We'll say, if you do these three things, then you can have an ice cream. And so we're hoping to motivate children or sometimes even adults in order to do some things to receive a reward, right? That's not how this works. Nothing we could ever do, nothing we could ever do enough of would in any way entitle us to what Jesus came to give us of his own choosing. His life and most importantly his death is the supreme act of grace, a gift freely given that you and I do not deserve, but it was given to us and for us. Jesus was also full of truth. In John 14, Jesus said, I am the truth. Uh, and that John 8, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus did not come to simply talk to people about God. He came to show people what God was like. Okay? So that everyone might know the truth. Is God some remote creator of the universe who does not care? Some of the um, people that helped found the United States of America had the idea that God was like a distant clockmaker who spun it all up and then let it run its course afterwards. Is that what God is really like? Not according to Jesus, not according to Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us. When it says we have uh, of this full of grace and truth and of his fullness we have all received. The word for fullness here, this word in the original, is this thing, this pleroma here. It's the sum total of everything that is God. Paul says in Colossians 1.19 that it pleased the Father that in him, that in Jesus, all the pleroma, all the fullness should dwell. When Jesus came... Everything that is God was present in Jesus, according to Paul here in Colossians 1. 
Colossians 2, for in him, for in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, of all that is God in bodily form. And then look at the next, at the next part of what he says. And you are complete in him. When we become one in Jesus, when we are a member of God's family, when we are baptized into his death, that's the point where we become one with Jesus. We are finally at that point complete because the Spirit of God dwells within us and we are participating in the divine nature according to Peter. When we become a member of God's family, Jesus, as it were, through the Spirit, dwells within each of us. In Jesus dwells all the wisdom, power, and love of God. It is an inexhaustible supply. It's not going to run out. If I become a member of God's family and then I walk away from God, I choose to do something for myself again, I choose to walk away and then realize I have made a mistake. You don't have to worry if, like a prodigal son, you come to yourself and you realize, I have really messed things up. All you have to do is to say, God, I need help, and to get up like that prodigal son did and come back to God, asking for prayer, asking for repentance, for forgiveness, and God will always share that love and forgiveness with each of us. Go to Jesus for any need, you will find the answer. So important, because I want to know what God is like, I simply have to look at Jesus. What was Jesus like? If you think about that for just another moment, it's not on the slide. Peter denied that he even knew who Jesus was shortly before Jesus was crucified. With oaths and curses. Weren't you with him? Somebody said. And he was essentially, as it were, letting loose with four-letter words. I don't know the man. And yet, after Jesus looked over and saw him, Peter went out weeping, realizing what he had done. Jesus, after the resurrection, said, love me, you need to feed my sheep. Get back to work. Get back to work. No matter what we do, if we will come back to God, God is more than happy and loving to forgive and say, get on back here. We says, out of that fullness, we have received grace for grace. That's kind of a tough little phrase to explain. It literally means grace instead of grace, which still means what? What does that little phrase, grace for grace, mean? It could mean that in Jesus, we find one wonder leading to another. The more we know of him, the more wonderful he becomes. We may see that grace first of forgiveness of past sins and the knowledge that when we come to Jesus, we are a new creature, a new person. And then as we continue to live in Jesus, we continue to grow closer to God. We recognize that grace allows me to meet the needs of my neighbors and my brothers and sisters. That it's not simply about me being forgiven of sin, not simply about me finding a way back to God, but it's about helping other people when they're down, when they're sad, when they are separated from God. And the growth continues over the years as I live as one with Jesus. 
John may be using this phrase then to express this limitlessness of Jesus, that there is no limit to the kind of grace and the amount of grace that we can receive through Jesus. It can also mean that in different stages of life, we receive different kinds of grace. One in the sunny days of prosperity when things are going well, there's one type of grace that we will receive as we need, and another in the days of adversity. One type of grace that we can receive in the days of youth, one in the days of age. And if you haven't talked to someone who may be older than you, that age catches up with you really quickly. I keep getting fussed at not to jump up the steps here on the stage and go up the steps on the side. I'm like, why? I'm a young guy. I can take that leap. If I keep that up, what do you think is going to happen here at Lindsley one of these days? My face is going to taste what the carpet tastes like because my face will be buried in the carpet if I keep trying to jump up. Age catches up with us and our needs as we age change. And so we may very well be saying that the grace of God is not a static thing, but God's grace that is expressed toward us, that is available to us, changes to meet the needs as we change through our lives. He then says this, for the law was given through Moses. Back in Exodus chapter 20, God revealed the law to Moses on the mountain. And it begins with, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The law takes several books to completely write out. But that law turned out to be unbearable. If you look at Acts 15, we read, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke, a burden, on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? When the church got together to, to talk about what should be done with these Gentiles who are turning to God, these Gentiles, non-Jews, who are becoming members of God's family, do they need to keep the law of Moses that the Jewish people have kept? throughout all their history? And the answer here is no. Why are you putting this burden on these Gentiles, these non-Jews who have become members of God's family? Don't you remember that none of us have been able to keep the law? It turned out to be hard. It turned out to be hard. The yoke that Jesus puts on us, Jesus says is easy. And the burden that Jesus puts on us is light. We are no longer under law, we're under grace. That doesn't mean you have a get out of sin free card that you can wave any time and do anything you want, saying, well, hey, it's all right because I'm going to be able to get forgiveness of this. That's not it at all. It's not some kind of a license where you can simply plan ahead to do evil, thinking, well, I'll be able to get forgiveness of this later. I'm going to have my fun now and I'll repent tomorrow. That's not it at all. We're not under law, but we're under grace. We are no longer live with a knowledge clouded by shadows, but a knowledge of truth brought by Jesus himself. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth is what's going to make you free. What is that truth? What is that truth that's going to set each of us free? What does it mean that Jesus became flesh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that Jesus was full of grace and truth. The truth is that grace is only found in Jesus Christ. 
Grace to forgive our sins. Grace to change the kind of person we are. Grace to help us learn how to love one another, even when sometimes people don't seem too lovable. That change in life has to be found in Jesus. And when is that found? Even though we have never seen God, if we have seen Jesus, we know what God is like. Galatians 3, 24 through 27. So then the law was our guardian, our schoolmaster, our governess. If you think of the old days, I always think of uh, the sound of music when I think of governess. You know, the kids kept running off the, the people trying to keep, take care of the kids. The law was our governess, our taskmaster, our schoolmaster, trying to help us learn what we needed to know until, until Jesus came in order that we might be justified by faith. Jesus came so we could be justified by faith rather than trying to keep a long list of rules and regulations. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. We have become adults. When you become an adult, you didn't have that guardian anymore. For in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God. You were all daughters of God through faith. How? How does that happen? When does that happen? How do I become a child of God? It's through faith. Notice what he says next. For as many of you as were baptized, as were immersed into Jesus Christ, have put on Christ. The way that grace becomes a part of me, the way that grace changes who I am, the way that grace helps me learn to love God more every day and learn my neighbor every day is only after I become a member of God's family. And Paul here very clearly says in Galatians 3 that I become a son of God, a daughter of God through faith when I have been baptized, immersed into Christ and have put on Christ. Being justified by faith, we become a member of God's family when we are baptized, immersed in water so that God can and will gladly forgive our sins. So the question of the morning is, if you're a member of God's family, but you simply have not been living the way God wants you to live, if you have not been making the choices that would reflect what Jesus did, if you have not been responding to your circumstances, your choices, your situation, the way Jesus would have had you do as a member of his family, depending on how public what you've done is, you either need to pray by yourself for God to forgive you, and he gladly will if it's a private thing that you've been doing. If it's public where the church would have been seen and implicated, if it's public where lots of people know, then the, the course of action is to come and ask God's people to take your name before God and to help pray so that God will forgive you. If you're already a member of God's family. If you're not yet a member of God's family, then that grace is waiting for you the moment you become member of God's family. And that happens, as Paul just said, when you are immersed in water to die to your old way of life and to be raised to walk as a new person. So this morning, the choice is yours. And I would urge you, do that today as we stand and sing.